Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the way of of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of the evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, evil. men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. Here we see in this, just this passage right here, discernment on display. We see what discernment is. We see it in verse 11. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. That is what discernment is. It's guarding. It's watching. It is, as verse 12 says, delivering its people. That's what discretion is. We see that. We also see clearly why you would want it. Uh, This proverb lays out a lot of reasons for why you want the fear of the Lord and the wisdom and the discretion that comes with it. And we also see here at hints at how you pursue discretion. It's very similar to wisdom. But we would like to fill out out these three questions. What, What is it? Why do you want it? And and how do you get it tonight? We want to kind of fill that out with just kind of a broad view of what Scripture says about discernment. That's the word we're searching for here, the sweet attitude of discernment. So tonight we're going to try to answer three different questions about discernment, similar to our outline for last week, except we got one extra point on there. Number one, what is it? It's exactly the same question that the children of Israel asked in the wilderness. But this is a different subject. I'm sorry. Uh, Delete that from the recording. Uh, Number two, why do you need it? And number three, how do you get close and stay close to discernment? So let's, let's start with the first question. What is spiritual discernment? What is spiritual discernment? Um, If you're going to be writing discernment a ton of times, just a little hint, it's spelled D-I-S-C-E-R-N-M-E-N-T, right? I'm getting a nod from one of you. Uh, I promised myself years ago I would never spell out loud again, and I just did it. But I just wanted you guys to know what it looked like, because it's kind of a funky word. And you pronounce it discernment, unless, of course, you're cool like MacArthur, and then you pronounce it discernment. So that's, that's an overview. Uh, we could give it a, a rough definition this way. It is the ability. It is the skill to separate truth from error. 
It, it's the, 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 the skill to separate right from wrong. It, it's the ability to grasp and see things um, in a moral framework. Uh, things that, that may appear to be obscure and, and may seem to be all blurred together, and you're, you're able to separate them. You're able to see moral issues with a divine lens, with, with the lens of God himself. You're able to separate. That word separate is very important if you actually look up all of the verses on discernment. The, the words themselves for discernment talk about uh, understanding, and there's this underlining idea of being able to separate or, or to judge. For example, in the, the Old Testament, there's a word for discernment, and it's a word called understanding. You see it there in verse 11. Discretion also is a synonym. Um, discernment is the ability to separate. We see here, right? What is it doing? It, it will guard you. It will watch over you. It will deliver you from the way of evil. It's, it, it, it's able to say, hey, this is a way that leads to evil. Uh, discernment sees, sees choices ahead of you and where they will take you in life. Discernment and wisdom are very close, but discernment sees the end of a thing because it's able to separate the evil from the good. It's able to uh, make space in between. Uh, the, the very word discernment in the Old Testament, ben, is very related to the preposition in the Old Testament, ben, and that preposition just simply means between. And so the word itself kind of has this idea of it makes space between things. If you have discernment, you're able to separate out things and see their moral values and where they are going to take you if you are a discerning person. You see life with a moral clarity that other people don't see if you see life with discernment. And New Testament has various words as well, um, words like uh, that mean to, to make a careful examination of a thing, um, to differentiate, separate. But the, the word that keeps coming back in the New Testament words again and again is the concept of judging. You make judgments about things all the time. That's what discernment is. You're saying, this is in line with God's will and God's way, and this is not. That's what discernment is. You're able to see the end. You're able to make clear judgments and issues that everybody around you might say, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. But you, you have discernment. Um, a few helpful examples. Turn over to 1 Kings. I'm going I'm to be moving kind of fast here, but I'll try to park in a few important passages that really help us understand what discernment is. In 1 Kings 3, obviously, it's the well-known prayer of Solomon for, what is it? What is he praying for? What is it? Well, come on, come on, you guys. Wisdom, wisdom. I heard wisdom, right? And I heard one person one person had the audacity to say discernment, as if that's what we're talking about tonight. Um, actually, if you notice, though, it's very interesting. Solomon doesn't pray for wisdom. He does. But he actually, the, the word he uses is actually discernment. So actually, Tony's right. You're all wrong. Um, notice, you know, of course, we're not going to get into the background, but notice this jump right to verse 9. Um, Solomon gives this big introduction. God tells him he'll give him whatever he asks, and Solomon makes a wise choice. He says in verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Literally, a heart that hears, a heart that's constantly hearing. The, the Hebrews didn't have a word for mind, they had a word for heart. That's where they th saw understanding and decision and willing happening in, in the heart. 
He's saying, give your servant an understanding or a listening, a hearing heart. Why? To govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? He asks for perception and ability to listen and understand. Notice it's, it's very interesting to me. Wisdom here, like we see in James in the New Testament, is what? It's quick to listen and it's slow to speak. That is what wisdom is. It is a listening heart, a careful, thoughtful heart. But what is it doing? It is discerning. And it separates. You see that in verse 9, right? I may be able to discern between good and evil. That I may be able to make judgments about situations. Why? So I may judge justly. And since we're here, just look over at chapter uh, uh, verse 16 of chapter 3 in 1 Kings. Of course, there's this famous story of Solomon's wisdom. You could also say it's a famous story of his discernment. There's this issue between these two prostitutes. Uh, basically, one, uh, both of them are sleeping one night. One rolls over and kills her baby. And in the middle of the night does a switch with the other prostitute's baby. And in the morning, the one with the baby that was uh, dead... Well, the one with the baby that was alive looks at her baby and says, this is not my baby, and it's not, and it's actually dead. And then she looks closer. No, then, then she looks closer, and she says, no, this is actually not my baby at all. And they bring their case to the king. And basically, this is a, a story that is right. It is, it is hard to judge. Uh, both, both tales are seemingly indistinguishable. Who are you going to believe? you got this prostitute over here saying, this woman did this, and you got the other one over here saying, no, actually, it's this way, this one did this. Who are you going to believe? Well, we see Solomon's wisdom on display. What does he do? Verse 26. No, sorry. Verse 23, he, he kind of says, how am I going to make up this case? And then he says in verse 24, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. What's going on here? Is Solomon evil, cruel, merciless? No, he is discerning. He is saying the true mother's heart will cry out for the life of the baby and she will, she will reveal herself. And that's exactly what happens. Because look at there in verse 26. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. (laughs) I wonder whose mother he has. Then the king answered, of course, in verse 27, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And then verse 28 reveals to us, all Israel heard the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was with him to to do justice. Notice what he does. He's able to divide. He's able to distinguish. He's able to make wise decisions. And this is what discernment is. Discernment is a keen observation of life. And you're able to see through life. You're able to see the true and the false. And you're able to come to good choices and make wise judgments. And to jump over to the New Testament really quick, we see... We see uh, the pattern continue about judgments and distinguishing and separating in First uh, Thessalonians. 
First Thessalonians 5, Paul says this to all Christians. He says, 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but, verse 21 says, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. No, no, it's this, it's, it's the calling of every Christian to be discerning. Why? You need to be able to separate, you need to be able to make judgments, you need to live a life that is critical of everything coming your way. Because there's evil out there, and there's good out there, and you want to, what? Abstain from every form of evil, and you want to hold fast to what is good. This is how you live a life that is pleasing to God, through wisdom, through discernment. And then, of course, we have Hebrews 5.14 that describes discernment in this way. Discernment is something that distinguishes good from evil. It is critical to your well-being, your spiritual well-being, to have discernment, isn't it? You will not know how to live in a manner that's pleasing to God unless you have discernment. And thanks be to God, through the Spirit, we read in 1 Corinthians 2, every Christian is able to make spiritual judgments. We have it in some some form of capacity, and it is to our well-being. Otherwise, we would not be able to live in a way that's honoring to Christ. But we must make critical choices, and we must separate in our life. That is what we're called to do. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5 clearly, right? Test everything. Well, that leads us right into our next question, really. We've already started to answer it, right? Why do you want spiritual discernment? You could probably already answer this question based on what we already did, right? I don't want to cut a baby in half. That's what Xander is saying to himself. I want spiritual discernment. And there's better reasons than that. We're going to actually approach answering this question from the negative, okay? Uh, like we did last week. Um, it worked for me. It helped me think through this. Let's just picture it like this. Life without spiritual discernment is blank. So, let's answer this question. What is life without spiritual discernment? Life without spiritual discernment is like... Number one, a floaty in the devil's ocean. That's right. A bath toy. No, better. A pool toy in the ocean of the devil. What am I talking about here? Well, when I was a wee, a wee lad, we used to go to this cabin every year. We'd stay there for like two weeks. A a friend of ours let us borrow their cabin in northern Minnesota for two weeks. It was glorious. It was beautiful. Um, There were so many cool things to do in northern Minnesota, like get eaten by mosquitoes, (laughs) catch fish with the same mosquitoes that you swatted. There was also this sweet water slide, which now that I look back on it, probably wasn't that sweet. But to my six-year-old self, it was amazing. So it was huge. There's also this epic place that I've told you about before called Paul Bunyan Land. Just life-changing. <laughs> life-changing. But one of the highlights of the two weeks that we were up there, at least leading up to this event, was the day every year my dad said, okay, everybody, grab whatever flotation devices you can find. We're going to drive all the way to the other side of the lake, like two miles or something, and we're going to float from there all the way back here. You never could do this today. I don't think so. But that's what we did. We'd go to the other side. We were all excited. We'd jump on our floaties, and then we'd just like paddle across and float. And it was fun for the first 10 minutes. And then the wind would kick up, and you'd start to be pushed all over the lake. And then you're like fighting for your life. Just let me get back to home. Right? And that's similar to the actual 
picture that we see about our spiritual life in Ephesians 4.14. You see here, um, Paul is talking about the, the gracious gift that, uh, that Christ gives to the church. He gives the church men that tell the church the truth truth tellers so that the church may grow up into maturity as it says in verse 13 to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that's why you come so that you can hear God's word so that you can grow through God's truth God gives you all sorts of men to speak God's truth to you as it says in verse 11 and then he tells us the result in verse 14 so that we may no longer be children immature tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? Here, here we see something here, right? Right? We see there are winds, and most of them, most of them in the life, if, if Paul's painting a metaphor here, there are these winds in the life that are, that are not just random. There are these doctrines that don't just come your way randomly. Um, this human cunning, it's, it's by craftiness. Schemes are by deceit. The, the devil is trying to whip people around, particularly Christians. He's trying to make you useless and ineffective by whipping you around the waters, make you drift all over the place so that you cannot grow, to change the metaphor back to that, so that you cannot grow and mature in your spiritual life. No, say it this way. Say it this way. The devil would love for every moral issue in your life to be unclear and vague and obscure and you not know what you should do. The devil would love that because when he can cloud up truth in your life, then he can get you to do whatever he wants you to do. And he can keep you wherever he wants you for as long as he wants you there, right? He wants you to be whipped to and fro tossed by this this idea of God and that idea of God and that that idea of God and that idea of yourself. The devil wants you to be all over the place. And he's very happy with the Christian church that is living in the middle, in the murky gray areas. Hey, everything is ambiguous. There is no truth. We don't know what to do with ourselves. That's That's where he would love to keep you. And if he can keep you there, right... You'll be at his beck and call for everything he desires in your life. You'll listen to the wolves and the false teachers that he sends your way. You'll love the world and its desires. And you'll linger in flesh's temptations. That's what you'll do if if you have no truth in your life. Matter of fact, this is what Paul says in Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 29, he he says this is kind of his farewell uh, message to the elders in Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is one of the saddest predictions in Scripture. Not just that wolves are coming, that's scary enough, but notice false teachers from among the church and those people that call themselves Christians themselves. That's why we have to be discerning about everything we hear. And notice what they're trying to do. They're speaking, in verse 30, twisted things. That's a word that that speaks of something that's deformed, 
something that's crooked, something that looks just enough like truth to get you to bite on it and not see the hook that is, is seeking to snag you and draw you away from Christ after some sort of scheme. That's what we have there. We have, we have a picture of you lost in, a, in, a, in the middle of the ocean, in the devil's ocean, on a floaty, just whipped this way and that way. Let's look at another picture. Another uh, example of life without discernment is like, life without discernment is also like a sermon snooze button. Work with me here. A sermon snooze button. Uh, of course, this is in contrast to being wide awake when you hear a sermon, being wide awake when you hear the Bible open, being full of alertness when God's word is being declared. Instead of that, without discernment, without any perception of truth, without any, um, any, any comprehension of God's word and its significance, you hit the sermon snooze button. Now, I get this idea from Hebrews 5, verse 11. Of course, the writer to the Hebrews is exhorting these Jewish believers to come all the way to Christ. Maybe that means come all the way to true saving faith. Maybe that comes to greater maturity. One of those two. But he says in 5 verse 11, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull in hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Notice, it is hard to explain to these believers because they do not have spiritual discernment. You know, maybe you've noticed this. Maybe you've noticed this in small group. Maybe you've noticed this in yourself. Don't raise your hand, right? Man, that other person in small group seemed to get so much more out of this message than I did. It was like I was sleeping the whole time. I didn't even notice what was going on. I didn't see any of that. It's because every time, every time the, the Bible is opened, there is this snooze button that maybe goes on in your life and in your heart. You're immature. And of course, in contrast to this, is being wide awake whenever the Bible is opened, being alert. And that comes from a heart that discerns this is God's truth. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This is the contrast. Um, Paul says this to the Thessalonians, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. Notice they were wide awake. Somebody's speaking to us the word of God. And they were able to discern and distinguish God's truth. And they were able to hear it, unlike these Hebrew Christians. Let me just ask you a question. Have you gotten into the habit of just kind of snoozing in God's truth? Is, is when you open God's truth, is it the same feeling? Is it the same alertness as when you open up any other book or watch a movie or hang out with your friends? Is, is it just ho-hum to you? Then you've hit the sermon snooze button. You do not have spiritual discernment. Uh, basically, what is your attitude towards the Word of God? I've got in the front of my Bible just these descriptions. Sometimes I just need to remember what the Word of God is. The Word of God is amazing. The Word of God has authority over nations and over kings. The, the Word of God is so powerful that what God says goes. Every time you open this book, you are hearing from the Lord of the universe who says His will and speaks it into existence. The Word of God is the Word of truth. It's abundant in truth. It reaches to the clouds. All God's words are truth. That is what you hold in your hands. I, I always want to have a heart that wakes up 
that is alert when the word of God is opened and attentive to it because it is the word of the living God. This is his mouth speaking to us. I want it to be an alarm clock, not a snooze button in my life. I want to have spiritual discernment. Another way, uh, another description of life without discernment. Life without discernment is like a helpless infant. And we see this, of course, again in Hebrews 5. 5 verse 12, we started to talk about this. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Notice these These believers are so spiritually helpless because they have no discernment that they aren't even able to help themselves. An infant is someone that can offer no help to others and can offer no help to themselves. They are completely dependent on others. Spiritual growth, on the other hand, will happen in a true believer's life. There's, There's reason to think right here in the letter to the Hebrews that he is actually speaking directly to those people that are not true Christians. Because spiritual growth should happen in your life. You should grow up spiritually. You should move beyond the the milk, so to speak. You should have a, a vibrant growth. Matter of fact, we see this in First Peter chapter two, verse one. To change the metaphor a little bit, Peter isn't saying you are bad if you're a child. He's saying you should desire the milk of the word like a baby, a newborn baby desires milk. He says this: put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Notice what notice the growth of a Christian's life. It is very quick, right? But it only comes because you repent of evil words, like the words spoken in 2 verse 1, and you also exclusively hunger for the word of God like an infant hungers for its mother's milk. There should be exponential growth in your life as a believer. Because when that happens, when you feed and drink on the Word of God constantly, exclusively, and you hunger for it like a child hungers for its mother's milk, you'll begin to develop a taste for it, and you'll want nothing else. Nothing else in your entire life you will hunger for, for truth, but the Word of God. I love the verse in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 103 and 104, write it down, look it up, meditate it on it every morning. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Notice that is how a believer grows. They grow through the taste of the word of God and That love for the Word of God also produces in them an abhorrence for sin in every evil way. That is spiritual discernment through the Word of God. But without discernment, your life is like a helpless infant. You are useless to yourself and useless to others. One more thought. Without uh, discernment, life is like an echo chamber for the world. Without spiritual discernment, you're just going to be repeating the same truths you hear from the world, and the world will be unoffended by you and unsaved by your testimony and by your witness. Right? The world loves 
loves the fruit of the gospel, but it hates the truth of the gospel. The world is fine with you shouting out hashtags all day, hashtag blessed, as long as you do not explain the truth of the gospel. The world is fine with you talking about love and peace and patience and contentment. That, that is an echo chamber that the world wants to be, be a part of. But they don't want to hear you talk about truth, right? Uh, they they want to say, hey, we're the ones that are all about love, and you're the ones that are all about that grouchy discernment thing you were talking about, right? But actually, but actually, if you have no discernment, you have no love, and your echo chamber for the world is actually very useless. Really quick, here in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, Paul's prayer to the Philippian church. He says this in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Notice that Christians love love, right? But we want it to be guarded and guided by the railings of understanding, knowledge, and what? Discernment. Because without truth, love is useless. Love is empty. Love can be destructive. Love without truth can be also the devil's greatest tool. Right? That is what he loves. Love without truth. In contrast, the believer is to be marked by Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into the, into the head, into Christ in every way. Life without discernment is a joy in conclusion to the devil. And it's only just an echo chamber of all the world's mantras that they are sending your way. And you'll make no difference. You'll offend nobody and you'll save no one through your witness. And to be quite honest, if you are a believer, you don't want anyone else in your life speaking truth into your life that doesn't have discernment. You don't... You shouldn't have time in your life for people that do not have discernment. Not necessarily, never never talk to an unbeliever, but hey, if you're talking to somebody that you're seeking to grow from, you want someone in your life that has spiritual discernment, that can distinguish right from wrong. You don't want somebody that's just repeating the same words that they heard from their Instagram account and were really encouraged by about how you need to be true to yourself, how you just need to do you. You need to love yourself. You need to reach in and discover the real you. You don't want someone like that in your life. You don't have any time for that. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says this, and I didn't understand this early in my Christian life, and I think I understand it more now. Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, The purposes of a man's heart is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. The purpose of a man's heart are like deep waters. I used to think that verse was, hey, there are some people that are super deep. But that's not what it says at all. It says everybody, everyone's purposes in their hearts are like deep waters. You want people of understanding in your life that will help you draw out and understand your life, your purposes, your desires, your wills. You want to be a person in other people's life that can help them draw out and understand their heart, their desires, their wills, so that you can help them grow, speaking the truth in love. A man of understanding is the only kind of person that can be helpful to others. That's what Proverbs 20 verse 5 is. 
you understand the motives and the purposes of the human heart, and you can speak truth and help people and encourage people. A word of truth is more valuable than a hundred kisses. Right? Because truth helps you grow. You don't want words from people talking to you about how you're a victim of your society, your culture, or your life. I want people helping me see how I'm a victim of my own heart's affections and my sinfulness. That's who I want. That's somebody that is helpful, that helps other people. And a life without discernment doesn't have that. That's, that's the first two questions. We've defined discernment spiritually. We've, we've given motivations for it. Let's quickly look real quick at our third question. How do I get spiritual discernment? How do I get close and stay close to spiritual discernment? You probably already have a really good direction. Probably you're already thinking, I know it has something to do with the Word of God. Because he said a lot about the Word of God lately, right? But how do we get spiritual discernment? We're going to kind of jump back to Proverbs chapter 2 and just highlight a few things, some basic principles of how to grow in spiritual discernment. Jump back over there just so you can see it. Um, Number one, you need to desire it. You need to desire spiritual discernment above all things. Desire it like you desire wisdom. It's very similar. We've already been kind of developing this point, right? You've already said to yourself, I don't want a life without spiritual discernment. And that's most of the motivation. I want spiritual discernment because I do not want my life to be useless. I do not want my life to be adrift want my life to matter. Verse 1 through 4. Notice how you are to desire it, my son. If you receive my words, treasure up my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart. If you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, if you search for it as hidden treasure. Notice, notice verse 4 there. You search for discernment. You desire it like a miner desires silver. Notice, it is a continual pursuit all of your life. He doesn't say, hey, just start out a few years and desire it. No, this seems to be continual, ongoing. You continually desire discernment. And notice also, it's, it's, it's up in your affections and your desires and your wants. You're, you're making your ear attentive. You're calling out for it. You're, you're receiving it. You're treasuring it up within you. You're, you earnestly want it. That's the first part, desire it. That's that's the key part. You first must desire discernment. And then secondly, you need to pray for it. And we see this modeled, but we also see this prescribed, don't we? We see it modeled in Solomon. We see it modeled right here in verse 3. Notice, call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Could be speaking to prayer right there. That's modeled for us. But we also see it prescribed, commanded to believers. Not only in the First Thessalonians verse, but also listen to James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. There's an incredible application right there, right? God wants you to call to him and ask for wisdom, ask for discernment. So even right now, while you're sitting there, you can start to apply this. Because you know what? 
He gives generously with to all, it even says, without reproach. It doesn't matter if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler. God gives discernment. God gives wisdom to those who desire it and ask for it. But this is also, this, this verse in James is also kind of a, a call of humility as well. You have to first recognize that you don't have it. You have to first say in your heart and in your mind, I want it because I don't have it. Because I know how prone I am to be swept this way and that way by the culture, by the mood of the room, by what smart people are saying. I'm, I'm just whipped around. Lord, I need spiritual discernment. I need wisdom in my life. You need to pray for it. Then third, you need to dig for it. Jumping back to verse 4. But this is the constant call, kind of the New Testament, right? It's not just be saved and good luck. It's be saved and grow up in your salvation. We saw this in 1 Peter 2. We see this in in Hebrews. We see this all throughout the Bible. We saw that in Ephesians 4 a couple weeks ago. We see it in Romans 12. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be, 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 Be made young again in your thinking. Be strong. Be strengthened. Spiritual strength. Notice this. Spiritual strength is in this idea of being renewed through the word of God. Spiritual strength in life comes from uh, like an, a preoccupation and a continual pursuit of the way you think, becoming in line with the way God thinks. That's where spiritual strength comes from in your life. And notice what he says here in Proverbs 2. Verse 1, receive it, treasure it up, take it in, take it in. This, this word, treasure it up is used in Exodus 2 to speak of Moses' mother hiding away Moses. What are we doing here? Are we we seeking to find discernment so we can hide it, so we can lose it? No, it's, it's treasuring it, it's keeping it safe so that it's accessible to you and useful to you whenever you want it. You're treasuring it up. You're receiving it and you're keeping it close. You, you want to learn the Bible well, and you want to learn what the Bible says about Christians and the Christian life really well. You want to think rightly. You want to think according to the way God thinks. And then number two, look at, search out for it. This word, no, sorry, verse two says, make your ear, sorry, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. This idea of inclining your heart means to like stretch out, stretch out for something, incline, make, make, make the word of God your distraction and your diversion all throughout life. You're constantly meditating on the word of God. This is why you memorize scripture so you can think about it throughout the day. And then notice verse 4, we have this mining metaphor. You dig for it, you work for it, you seek it like silver. It is your pursuit of the wisdom of God like someone who is digging for silver? Or is your pursuit for the wisdom of God someone who is going on the street looking for a cheap, quick deal on a nice ring, right? Are you digging for silver or are you just trying to get a quick silver ring in your life? No, if you want the wisdom of God, you've got to work for it. God gives it generously, but you have to work for it. (laughs) Notice something here. He has a reference to searching for it in verse 1. He has a reference to searching for it in verse 2. He has a reference for 
praying for it in verse 3, and he has a reference for searching it out like a miner in verse 4, there might be some practical help in even the way this proverb is laid out. Notice, you seek it, you seek it, you pray for it, you seek it. Some people are like, how do you get wisdom? Well, you pray, that's all you do. Some people are like, how do you get wisdom? No, you work for it. You dig really hard and you work for it. No, it's both. Matter of fact, it looks as though you have to lay a foundation, you pray for God for more wisdom, then you seek out God's word more and more and more. That's how you grab insight. That's how you grab understanding. That's how you get a hold of discernment. And notice, there's, there's almost, it's, almost, it's almost kind of comical, isn't it? You have to have wisdom to seek wisdom. You have to have wisdom to want wisdom. Ah, what are you leaving me with here? Well, I'm leaving you with the grace of God who gives generously. But notice, you search God's truth and you seek God's mercy through prayer to help you grow in wisdom. Why are we doing this? Well, just, just a reminder of why you are doing this. Look at verse 6. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Every moment that you're in God's word, you're spending some time near the mouth of the omnipotent God who gives generously, who who breathes out scripture. Every verse of scripture proves true. Who, as Acts 20.32 says, uh, as Paul says, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is Paul's conclusion to the danger in the world and in the church? He says, go after the word of God and the word of God's grace. That's what we're digging for. We're digging for God's truth. And a few last points here. Separate for it. Separate for it. I, I find this more, uh, more kind of as a reflection of Romans 12. Notice, notice what you have to do if you, if you want to get understanding. There has to be a separation in your life between the things that the world is sending your way and the truths that they want you to embrace and the truth of God. You have to separate from the world's efforts. Paul says this in Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice, there's a two-part process, right? You are actively not being conformed to the world. And you are actively seeking to be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can discern truth from error. So you can discern what God's will is for you in your life. I mean, just ask yourself a question. Is there a noticeable difference between the way you listen to the world and the things coming down the pipe from the world and the things coming to you from the word of God? Is there a noticeable difference? A discerning person, this is going to sound weird, but a discerning person actually is someone who is very critical in how they listen to everything in life. They make judgments. They're always asking questions. They're saying, is this true? Is that thought true? Is this conclusion true? Does that one align with scripture? That is what a discerning person does. They, they separate. They are intentionally seeking not to be conformed to the world because the world is trying to conform them into its image. Another idea 
Not just separate from it, practice it. This also sounds weird, practice discernment. But once again, you should be just practicing discernment every single day of your life. A Christian should approach every area, every emotion, every thought, every book, every movie with a critical eye. Not in a negative sense, but in a sense that's always saying, is this true? And if it's not, what am I doing about it? How am I listening to it? Put everything you take in into a filter. And this is not just referring to books. I I really do think we should be discerning in how we interact with our own emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. Is this in accordance with Scripture? Of course, this idea of practicing comes from Hebrews 5.14. It says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, notice, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You grow in discernment by practicing it. You will only get discernment by seeking it out and practicing and, and seeking God's word, and that's how you'll grow in discernment. And one last thought that's been helpful to me in my life, follow after it. And what do I mean by that? Follow after it. Find people that are discerning and learn from them. Learn how they come to their conclusions. Are they discerning because they're really smart? Are they discerning because they think through things scripturally? Be around people like that. Talk to people like that. Think out loud with people like that so that they can help you become a more discerning person as well. That's discernment. That's why you want it. And to the best of my ability, that's how we can get it. And let's do that by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for this evening. I pray that our time in small group would be productive and helpful and encouraging and edifying. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.